Welcome to this episode of the Structural Engineering Channel podcast, a podcast focused on helping structural engineering professionals stay up to date on technical trends in the field and also to help them succeed in their careers and lives. In this episode, we will be talking to Zohabe Alvi, who is a civil structural and forensic engineer and principal of ZA Engineering. And Zohabe's going to talk about sustainability in structural engineering, but from a different angle than you may have heard of before, talking more about the emotional side of it, which is really interesting. I'm one of your hosts, Anthony Fasano. I'm a licensed professional engineer who practiced as an engineer, but eventually decided I wanted to focus more on inspiring engineers rather than doing the engineering myself. So since then, I've written a book entitled Engineer Your Own Success and have traveled the world helping engineers build their core or soft skills. And I'm your other host, Matt Picardle. I'm also a licensed engineer, a structural engineer practicing in California with an undergraduate degree from Cal Poly Pomona and a master's in structural engineering from UC San Diego. I also host a new YouTube channel, Structural Engineering Life, through which I'm focused on promoting the structural engineering profession to engineering students and young professionals that aren't too familiar with the industry perspective. Through this podcast, Matt and I plan to try to bring you information that can help you succeed in every single episode. Now, before we get started with this episode, this is a free show and our sponsors help us keep it free. So we ask that you please support them. And now I'd like to recognize our first sponsor for this episode, CSI. Computers and Structures Inc. is recognized globally as the pioneering leader in software tools for structural and earthquake engineering. Software from CSI is used by thousands of engineering firms in over 160 countries for the design of major projects. CSI software is backed by more than four decades of research and development, making it the trusted choice of sophisticated design professionals everywhere. Listen up later in the show where I will tell you more about their great software packages and how they can help you. We also want to give a shout out to the Structural Engineering Institute, SEI of ASCE. SEI is a dynamic community of more than 30,000 members from around the world advancing and serving structural engineering while influencing change on broader issues that shape the entire civil engineering community. Gain technical, professional, and leadership experience by participating in your local SEI chapter or graduate student chapter at an SEI conference or through an SEI committee effort. You can find more info on them at www.asce.org forward slash structural dash engineering forward slash structural dash engineering dash institute. And of course, Matt and I kind of had initial conversations about this podcast at the Structural Engineering Institute SEI Congress this past year, which is also a great annual event that they do. Excited for this episode with Zohabe Alvi. Like I said, the terms resiliency, sustainability, they're kind of trending words in structural engineering. They're talked about a lot. But in this episode, Zohabe kind of took a different approach than I think what we thought he was going to kind of going to go with it. And he talked about a lot of these sites or projects where they have been through natural disasters or even any kind of reuse type of projects, there's an emotional side of it for the user, whether it's the person that lives there, the owner. And as an engineer, we need to deal with that. We need to be able to deal with that. It's not just about the calculations because they don't necessarily care about the calculations, which I thought was important, Matt. I think he definitely brought up a good point and pretty unique perspective, especially coming from an engineer because we're mostly focused on the numbers. And to us, a building is probably just uh, calculations on a piece of paper or a mathematical model on your computer screen. But when you actually go out there 
I mean, it's not that to whoever's living in that or whoever the owner is that just went through a natural disaster. So that can kind of blindside engineers when they go out there. That's something that we're really not used to. And that's not really talked about until you actually talk to someone that has been through that. And then in the end of the episode in our Elastic Modulus segment, we talked to Zohab a little bit about some challenges in his career, starting his own firm, and kind of the importance of understanding who you are in terms of your professional development. So with that, let me give Zohab a little bit more of an introduction so you get to know him a little bit here, and then we'll jump right into the conversation. As mentioned, Zohab Alvi, PE, is a civil, structural, and forensic engineer and principal of ZA Engineering. He holds a dual bachelor's degree and is a licensed professional engineer in New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, Pennsylvania, and Texas. He's on the board of directors for the Long Island chapter of the New York State Society of Professional Engineers and recently completed the inaugural Emerging Leaders Program with NSPE. Mr. Alvey has over 10 years of experience leading or supporting projects focused on implementing repair plans at bridges, tunnels, and airports throughout New York City, certainly complex projects and performing structural design and evaluation for new and existing buildings, and performing forensic investigations of buildings following accidents and natural disasters throughout the country. All right, let's jump right into our conversation with Zohab. Now we'd like to welcome Zohab Alvi, Principal of ZA Engineering to the Structural Engineering Channel podcast. Zohab, welcome. Thank you for having me. So we're going to talk about some different topics with Zohab, but before we jump in here, Zohab, why don't you give our listeners a little bit of background on yourself, kind of your career to date and where you're at today? Well, a lot of my career takes a very non-traditional route. I first started in college as an architecture major. I figured I didn't like it that much and wanted to progress into something different. So I talked to my advisors at school. They recommend that I take the construction management program because it was introduced me and opened me up to the PE exam later down the road. I might have to work a little bit extra, but that wasn't a big deal for me. So I decided to graduate with both degrees and I got a job, you know, doing contracting work for a little bit and then decided that wasn't for me either. And I got a job with a structural engineer who pretty much taught me the ropes, everything from structural design to um, forensic investigations. And from there on, I went over to a few larger companies and decided that wasn't me. I like to be in control of my own product. And I started my own consulting firm with the blessing of uh, many clients who are very generous and open to letting me experiment on their projects. That's great. How long have you been doing that now? How long have you had ZA Engineering? Officially, ZA Engineering has only been around. It's going to hit its one-year anniversary soon. But I've been consulting on and off for Pretty much since I got out of college, you know, everything from drafting to, you know, just assisting other engineers with staff shortages or whatever else there is. Listen, starting and building a business in itself is a challenge and doing it, I think, in, in engineering of any kind, especially structural engineering, would, I'm sure will make it even more challenging, which we can get into a little bit later. But for now, let's start off on the technical side of things in terms of what would you say your specialty or expertise or what areas do you focus in in structural engineering? For me, it's more about repair and reuse of existing structures. There's a lot of buildings out here on in New York City, Long Island, um, North Jersey, you know, Southern Connecticut, where my business focus is. And there's a lot of buildings that are aging and beyond their useful life cycle. A lot of times, you know, there's issues with um, being able to build something else on these sites, considering you know the zoning laws have changed significantly since when these buildings were built. 
So that's where I come in to do an assessment of the existing building, find out what's required to repair it, and to see what measures we need in order to be able to reuse the building and have it serve a new purpose. And Zohib, you have a specific interest in sustainability. Can you talk about that a little bit? So sustainability is, you know, a big buzzword or it's become a big buzzword, but it's a very serious topic. When we build something new, the materials that are used have a certain energy or embodied carbon within them. And a lot of times building a new structure, even having it, even with sustainability in mind or alternative energy in mind down the road, building that building can produce extra carbon or extra waste that, you know, is unintended or unthought of, especially as structural engineers who are sitting around just solving problems or calculating the load requirements and everything else. Things like concrete, I mean, concrete, I'm not knocking on it because I am a big fan of concrete. I'm not good at designing it, but I'm very good at, I do realize its benefits. But, you know, concrete itself, you know, produces up to 6% of the of worldwide emissions. And that's, you know, something to consider when we're designing. So my sustainability goes back to what my specialty is, to be able to reuse existing structures because that embodied carbon and that has already been, you know, taken into under consideration. So how can we retrofit it and basically reuse that structure? To avoid additional carbon output, essentially, correct? Correct, yes. And that's great. And that's something, Matt, I think that we've been talking about a lot on the podcast. We had a that conversation with Dr. McAllister from NIST recently. We talked about exactly what Zohabe is referring to, which is we have to go beyond the calculations and just checking the boxes off in terms of the technical side of things, but we have to think about the longer-term impacts to the community that these projects are having more than ever right now. Yeah, it's definitely a, a big trending topic, but for me, I guess I was curious, it seems like it's for structural engineers out there, I guess, how do you specifically, because you mentioned we have to be more aware of sustainability. Can you give us a practical example of how you actually do that during a retrofit? And so basically you have an existing, let's say you have an existing steel frame building and it used to be a warehouse, but now they want to convert it into lofts for or office lofts. Now to go back in there to be able to see how the building was constructed, what the existing loads were, and to see what's required in order to bring this up to code, make this safe, and be able to reuse it. So, you know, do the columns need to be reinforced in some places? Do we need to excavate a little bit, re-expose, you know, the foundation? and try to shore that up in some way. You know, each project has a very unique set of problems that comes with it. And it goes beyond just being able to sketch something on paper and say, this is going to work. There's a lot of field issues. I mean, you have to be involved in every step of the process down from the surveying the building down to, you know, the actual construction and the execution of it. It's beyond just design. So in terms of sustainability, so when you're doing this type of project, you're taking into account how much concrete they have to demolish, what type of materials you're going to be putting in there to kind of reduce the, to make building more sustainable in the end? Not necessarily. So the first thing is, you know, going back to the issue of embodied carbon. So you have the building itself that's already pre-existing. So you don't want to try to take away from it. You want to try to add to it or try to repurpose it for something else. A big thing is very simply, you know, install solar panels on the roof, but the roof was designed 50, 60 years ago where you had less safety factors or less, you know, lower snow load or lower wind load requirements. And you all of a sudden you're adding a ballasted system, which is adding an extra, you know, 20 pounds per square foot in some cases, especially in higher wind regions, depending on the angle of the panel, obviously, you know, you want to be able to go back and 
double check or triple check the roof to make sure that's capable, you know, of supporting new alternative energy or, or new green features. This is a balancing act, really, for structural engineers in terms of trying to utilize all the existing structure and materials and add to it, as Zohaib said, but also making sure that you can add to it safely. And you know, I guess that's where come the structural calcs and the load calculations come in, but it is an important balancing act. So Zohaib, do you sometimes get called in on projects where they're trying to decide whether or not they can reuse something? That's usually the first step. And with a lot of clients, before they even come up with the structural engineering, the first thing I recommend is a consultation to see if a project is even feasible. And I do that with a lot of clients. We'll go in, we'll do an initial meeting, we'll look at the condition of the building, we'll see what their goal is, and we'll go over specific options to see if there is a possibility to do what they need to do or if they have to go a different route in order to accomplish their goals. So if you wanted to have, let's say, a mindset of sustainability as a, I mean, really as an engineer, but let's say as a structural engineer specifically, the approach would be we want to reuse as much of an existing building as possible. Does that sound accurate? Correct. Okay. Because I think it's important, like Matt was saying, if someone says, I want to be more sustainable as a structural engineer in my approach to projects, the first thing that comes to mind would be reuse what you can. But again, you have to then balance it, making sure that you can reuse everything if you're adding solar panels or adding other things to a project. So now in terms of policies, guidelines, regulations, people have been focusing on sustainability for some time now, although it is becoming more and more popular. Has that been reflected in codes and guidelines in the recent history? So I know the ASC has their five-year roadmap to sustainable development, and they set apart four priorities in there. And they also set up a technical committee for new um, titles and new after you take their courses, you know, the ENVSP being the big one. And I think that's a step in the right direction towards implementation and increasing engineers' knowledge about the holistic impact of the work that they do. So it's on their radar for sure. And it's been in the works and things are being developed. That's all good to hear. One of the other aspects or words, I guess you could say buzzwords that has come up a lot on the podcast so far, even if in its young infancy here is Yes, sustainability and also resiliency and the integration of alternative energy and things of that nature. Can you speak on that a little bit? What I'm already doing in terms of repair and reuse is part of resiliency. A lot of that comes from my experiences after Hurricane Sandy and seeing how a lot of the buildings, especially on the southern coast of Long Island, were impacted after that event. And a lot of it didn't become, okay, let's tear down all these buildings and start from scratch. It was, no, okay, we have all of this that's already existing. How do we improve it? And how do we improve the lives of the people that are there? So, you know, New York implemented the New York Rising Program to be able to lift a lot of these houses. But um, our work came in to see, okay, how do we make this practical? And how do we integrate this into the community as a whole? And not even each community, but each residence had its own specific challenges, you know, you had to deal with. And a lot of it isn't engineering challenges. A lot of it is social challenges. A lot of it is emotional challenges. And that's a lot of things that us as engineers are not equipped to deal with. That goes into, you know, one point I want to talk about, that resiliency doesn't start with, you know, technical topics. Resiliency first starts with us. We need to be able to uh, develop ourselves a little bit beyond technical capabilities. We need to be able to develop our soft skills. I know, Anthony, that's a big focus of the Engineering Management Institute and, you know, the book that you wrote. Without the soft skills, we can't improve ourselves and we can't integrate our technical knowledge into the social fabric of the community. And I think that's where true resiliency lies. It's in ourselves. You mentioned Hurricane Sandy. 
and resiliency starting with ourselves. Could you give us an example of kind of when did you have like a aha moment where you were out there and you saw that, hey, we do need these skills and it starts with us? A simple example was, you know, one of the first houses that I did, and this was fresh after, you know, we went out there, then their house wasn't severely damaged, but it did flood. And it was a new family. They just had a child and, you know, they're very worried about where are our lives going to go. And they didn't want to hear about how we're going to fix their house. They just wanted somebody who would listen to them beyond whoever else has been there just trying to, you know, solve the issues for the house. So really, we sat down on, you know, their dining table and they just kind of bled their hearts and said, okay, this is, you know, what's really bothering us. And they didn't want us to come up with a solution. They just wanted someone who would sit down and listen to what problems that they're going to run into down the road or what they might run into and what they're really worried about. So it had nothing to do with my technical expertise or the fact that I was there as an engineer to, you know, assess flood damage. It was more or less, what is my greater role beyond that of an engineer? And that's when everything started to click. I didn't have the skills at that time to sit down and listen adequately. You know, I tried to interject a little bit. And I found out when people just want to talk to you, they want you to listen. They don't want you to talk at all. And that was something that took a little bit of development. (laughs) I mean, there's been many weather storms and these natural disasters that have kind of plagued us, not just in the U.S., all over the world. As of recently, and Hurricane Sandy was a bad one in the area that I'm in, in Zohabe's in. My in-laws actually had a house out on a Breezy Point out there in the Rockaways out in Queens. And that whole community really got, I think they had 50 houses burned down from an electrical fire. I know my in-law's house was completely underwater. And this program that Zohabe mentioned where they're raising up all the buildings, my in-laws, in fact, just finished their house a few months ago there. It is a, when you get called out to job sites like this, and in that community specifically, rebuilding, I mean, the Red Cross was there. You have all of a sudden hundreds of people, thousands of people without a home. And you're going as as an engineer to do maybe a structural analysis or some kind of inspection. And you're there thinking about, again, your checklist and the things you need to look for. But like Zohaib said, a lot of times they could probably care less about a lot of that stuff. They're just trying to figure out how they're going to put their life back together which is why developing some of these soft skills, these conversational skills, these listening skills can really, really be helpful in terms of in engineering in this world. And, and you know, a lot of times at EMI, we talk about that really a lot in terms of your team and your clients and things of that nature. But I think Zohe brings up the point in terms of dealing with people out in the communities and how important that can be. And Matt, again, this is something we've been talking about a lot is, you know, community involvement in, in projects these days. Yeah. And as a structural engineer, I mean, there's volunteer programs where you can be kind of like a first responder to natural disasters. So whether it's a hurricane or a forest fire or an earthquake, uh, you can get called out there. And it's important to know that when you are going out there, you're kind of a structural engineer. That's your main role is to kind of just be there for the, the people that didn't just lose their, their house. They just lost their home that they've been living in. And it's important to definitely be aware of that instead of just going in there and seeing how you can repair their house. So it is an added responsibility, I think, as, as being a structural engineer and, and definitely bring up some great points. But Zohaib, how do you even prepare to do that? A lot of trial and error from my experience anyways, but um, a lot of it comes down to, you know, having good friends, having good family members and having good mentors be able to, you know, sit down and talk to these things about there's a lot of people out there, a lot of engineers out there who've been doing this for 30, 40, 50 years. There's a lot of non-technical knowledge that they have. And unless we take the time out to find them and talk to them, we're not going to know how to deal with these issues. 
this is certainly something that you learn from experience. You know, emotions or inter- social interactions aren't something that are data-driven or something that's technical knowledge. You can only learn it from experience and from other people's stories. Honestly, this is why engineering is one of the most challenging professions out there because we need to be very data-driven for obvious reasons in terms of doing calculations that impact society in a big way in terms of the structures and things that are being built. But on the same side of it, if we can't communicate with people effectively, your projects, it's just another reason, just like the technical side of things can go bad, the project can go bad if you can't communicate things effectively and be there to listen to people and utilize those conversations and decision-making processes and, and many other sides of it. So it's a really important thing to think about. Let's talk a little bit about technology, Zohaib. How does smart technology play into all these trending issues we're talking about? Smart technology for me is a very controversial topic, and I have clients who will be upset if I bear out what I really think of it. But I think I'm going to take the chance anyways and say what I need to say about it. Smart technology has great intentions, and it has you know great capability. But the problem with a lot of technology, especially emerging technology, is that it gets outdated and becomes obsolete very quickly. So if we make a building dependent on smart technology, who's to say that that building itself won't become obsolete? If the software company goes out of business or if there's, let's say, a network failure or there's any other man-made or natural disaster which can impact you know, the integrity of that system. I don't have a solution, but really it's something just to think about in the long run to see how this could, this would get affected. Even with our phones, our firmware gets you know, outdated within two or three years. So what's to say that the firmware for an entire building won't get outdated within the same time period? Could you give us some examples of a smart technology used in, in buildings that you're talking about? A lot of them are um, environmental controls and security controls, and a lot of them are becoming increasingly networked. A lot of them used to be, you know, like a closed circuit television, you'd be isolated to within the building. But now, since we're networking everything together, you've got security systems which you can access from a phone anywhere else in the world. That leaves susceptible not only to, you know, software upgrades, changes, or you know, even companies going out of business, but it leaves them vulnerable to, you know, hacking or any other malicious intent. I was reading an article recently about our power grid and how it was hacked. And, you know, fine, you hear the word hack and you think it's some complicated endeavor. But that wasn't the case for this. So I opened up the article, started reading through it. And it was interesting how the hackers were able to gain access to the power grid. They sent an email supposedly from the NCES saying that, you know, a particular person failed their exam and to click the document to learn more about it. And they would open up the document and that's how the hacker had access. But the hacker is using, you know, Visual Basic, which within the Word document to be able to hack into the system. I thought it was fascinating. Visual Basic is 35-year-old language. Why are we still susceptible to hacking from something that old? It was a bizarre read for me. I think a lot of what we've talked about here today is really thinking through the big picture of a project, both short-term and long-term. You know, we want to provide awesome short-term solutions in terms of the technology and making sure everything works, but we also have to think about long-term, the materials, the technology, the community, and how all of these things are going to be impacted. And I think it's just with the way the world is changing so quickly, that long-term aspect of projects is becoming so much more important And Zohaib really alluded to it as well, is that a lot of it has to do with the engineer himself or herself, right? And how their approach to projects, their mindset, their own development, how they're developing themselves and keeping up to date on a lot of things, which can really seem to be driving things. 
And I just wanted to interrupt and, and bring up one quick thing you know, regarding you know, efficiency and technology and everything else. There's a TED Talk that came out recently by Margaret Heffernan, who's you know, been the CEO of many major companies. And she talked about you know, efficiency versus robustness. And she pretty much nailed the point. Her quote was, efficiency works really well when you can predict exactly what you're going to need. And then she kind of, to summarize, you know, my version of it is um, in an increasingly unpredictable world, what's the benefit of efficiencies? If we can't predict what the future is going to be, that efficiency is meaningless. We need to remain robust. We need to remain adaptable. And we need to be able to find creative solutions in both the short term and the long term. And that requires, again, going back to the main point of self-development and consistent learning. For sure. Continuous improvement is important. And that adaptability seems to be the key today in many walks of life, especially engineering for sure. And just one thing to go back to what we talked about in terms of the emotional side of engineering and dealing with people that have been through challenging situations. If you're a younger structural engineer, I think just being aware of that, if you haven't done a lot of site work or responded to a lot of disaster uh, project sites, then just being aware of that so you can start to understand that and think through that will be helpful. And if you're an experienced engineer, you may already know this because you've been to job sites like Zohaven, you've met people in distress. But I think what you can do and where you can provide value is your younger staff or to just the younger community in general, maybe through doing a talk at a society and talk about these things because you learn these things on the job. These are not things that they teach you in undergraduate structural engineering degrees, how to deal with the emotional side of people when you show up to a project site. So you can be the teachers of that. And I think that that's something that's very important. And these are the kind of lessons that we're trying to share through the podcast here. So what we're going to do now is Zohabe's going to stick with us. We're going to take a short break. We're going to come back in our Elastic Modulus segment and talk to him a little bit about his career and starting a company and some things that are interesting about that aspect of his journey. Now it's time for our Elastic Modulus segment of the show. The Elastic Modulus is a quantity that measures an object or substance's resistance to being deformed elastically when a stress is applied to it. In this segment of the show, we like to ask our guests about a time in their career where maybe they bent, but they didn't break, or they had some kind of big challenge to overcome or a big career decision to make. Now, before we do that today, I would like to recognize our sponsor for this episode again, CSI. CSI produces five primary software packages, SAP 2000, CSI Bridge, eTabs, Safe, and Perform 3D. Each of these programs offers unique capabilities and tools that are tailored to different types of structures and problems, allowing users to find just the right solution for their work. SAP 2000 is intended for use on civil structures, such as dams, communication towers, stadiums, and buildings. CSI Bridge offers powerful parametric design of concrete and steel bridges. ETABS has been developed specifically for multi-story commercial and residential building structures, such as office towers, apartments, and hospitals. The SAFE system provides an efficient and powerful program for the analysis and design of concrete slabs and foundations with or without post-tensioning. Perform 3D is a highly focused nonlinear tool offering powerful performance-based design capabilities. With CSI products, you can be confident that you have the finest structural engineering software available backed by a company 
with an unmatched record of innovation and an unrivaled commitment to meet the ever-evolving needs of the profession. You can learn more about them at www.csiamerica.com. All right, we're back with Zohave Alvi here, and this is our Elastic Modulus segment. And Zohave, we like to focus in this segment on our guest careers and maybe a time where things looked kind of bad and you were able to kind of overcome challenge or adversity. Is there a situation like that that comes to mind that you could shed some light on in your career and share with our audience? I think the biggest thing or the biggest challenge that I had was coming face-to-face with my own weaknesses. And a lot of that comes from, you know, reading experiences from other engineers and working on problems that I'm completely unfamiliar with. A very stressful experience. I still deal with it day to day. I've made it a point to, you know, try something that I'm afraid of at least once a week, you know, this podcast being last week's challenge. The biggest insight I can give is do things you're afraid of. And I can't give a specific example, but I think the biggest one was, you know, when I finally decided to step in full time and do, you know, running my own business. There's a lot of unknowns and I'm not a business person by any means. I'm not even a social person by any means. I don't have any social media beyond LinkedIn. And even then I'm hesitant to keep it around. (laughs) It really became a learning experience for me, you know, again, beyond the technical knowledge, it was, you know, find the administrative knowledge to find out how to actually open up a business. What do I need to do with the state in order to keep this going? What do I need to do in terms of accounting and payroll and hiring other people? Marketing, you know, from engineers or traditionally introverts, you know, marketing is a completely opposite experience of that. How do you go out there and how do you make yourself be known? How do you speak to people? You know, a lot of time we are, and with any subject, not this, not just engineering, you know, we're very used to talking to peers and people from our own career paths. We don't know how to talk to people from other lines of work. How do you learn that? And the only way to really learn it is to, you know, really step into it and don't be afraid to fail. I failed plenty of times. And as long as you keep picking yourself back up and keep trying and trying, you know, you'll learn. Even if you don't accomplish something, you'll learn something. Zohib, was starting the business itself another endeavor where you wanted to just push yourself beyond your comfort zone? A lot of it came from, um, I took this thing called the Strength Finders, and I was surprised with what it told me what my strengths were. And the number one was, you know, independence. I didn't realize that until, you know, I took that. And then my wife comes up to me. She's like, yeah, I've always known this. I'm like, so I'm like, why wouldn't you bring this up with me before? She's like, I thought you'd know yourself. And that's when it really struck me. It's like, I don't really know myself. I've been given problems to solve. And that's all I've been doing. It's time to, you know, step back, get to know myself a little bit, and then find the problems that I want to solve or solve the problems that I actually need solving. And that's where the whole business thing came up. It's like, okay, and if I want to do things my way, the only way to do it is to try and hope that I don't fail. That's very inspirational. Thank you for sharing that with our audience. I think some of the lessons that I got from that was, you know, you don't have to be start your own business. If you're a young engineer and you're starting your career off, I mean, you can start learning about uh, how to treat yourself as a business because even in your own firm, you have your own reputation and it, it really does take treating it like a business. How are you showing up to work? What extra things are you doing to benefit your firm, even with social media and your marketing, how you're perceived in that? So I think even not just starting your own business, but how are you promoting your own self-brand in your company and how are you helping out your company? So I think that's, that's great lessons, even if you're not trying to do your own firm. I think to Matt's point, if every engineer, even engineer that worked for a company, 
takes that approach, it's just better for everyone involved, including the companies, because you don't want someone to just come to work every day and plug through equations and do things just because they have a job and they're there. You want someone who's motivated about themselves and their career and they're building their skills and they're out there in the industry meeting people. That's my thoughts. What do you think about that, Zohib? So, I mean, I want to clarify that I'm not advocating that every engineer should quit their job and start their own business. What I'm trying to get at is everybody should know what they want out of their careers and what their goals and what their you know, long-term strategy is and find a place where they fit. There's a lot of great companies out there that do a lot of great work. And there's a lot of people that you know, fit those roles perfectly. But if you don't know yourself and if you don't know where you belong, then you can't really succeed no matter how successful the firm is. Zohib, thank you so much for spending some time with us here on the Structural Engineering Channel podcast. We really appreciate you taking the time. No, it was a real pleasure. And thank you again for being so accommodating and helping me take this next step of my own career. I hope everyone out there enjoyed the episode today. We'd love to hear your feedback, comments, and our questions. Please visit structuralengineeringchannel.com. There you'll find a summary of the key points discussed in today's episode, which is episode number six. We'll also list any links to any of the resources, websites, or books that we might mention throughout the episodes. And please make sure you check out our upcoming live webinar for the month at engineeringmanagementinstitute.org. Until next time, we wish you the best in all of your structural engineering career endeavors.